dress. It's very stimulating. And it's red. You know what Freud would have said about that dress. And he would have been right. I admit it. I live in a highly excited state of overstimulation. Listen, I'd really like to take you out to dinner tonight. Welcome to Blood and Black Rum Podcast Halloween 2022 Special. This year we're craving some Cronenberg. We're bringing you Wes Craven and David Cronenberg movies all Halloween season from September through October 31st. Experience the visceral thrills with movies like A Nightmare on Elm Street, Rabbit, Last House on the Left, and more. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from Coltsploitation.com, and I am joined with my co-host Martin. How's it going? Doing well. I just deeply yawned. <laughs> Sleepy. It's uh, it's late in the evening when we're doing this show. Late being not not quite eight p.m. <laughs> it's late for us old guys. But uh, no, we're doing well. We're doing well. We're uh, knee deep, wrist deep, whatever you want to call it. In um, ours, craving some. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want to call it, especially that, I guess that works for this for the for what we're doing on this episode today. Uh, we're we're so far into our craving some Cronenberg Halloween series, and last time we did a Craven movie, so you know what time it's it it is. It's it's time for Cronenberg, and and for for actual you know purposes of this episode, we are doing you know a body horror episode, one that's uh, pretty specifically probably one of. Cronenberg's biggest body horror movies and we have covered a number of Cronenberg movies and for for the most part you haven't been too enthused with them no yeah you hadn't seen many of them but you you, they've kind of been lost on you 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 haven't really loved them and that's that's a shame but we're hoping to fix that with today's episode well listen you can't say that because uh you didn't find Rabbit to be that great either, so. And yeah, I mean, I thought it was fair to middling. And you didn't find Scanners to be like an outstanding masterpiece. So. I mean, I didn't think it was amazing. I did, I did it, and like, and I, I would say that I enjoyed both of those movies. I just didn't think that they were, you know, they weren't yeah, amazing. Well, I didn't hate them. I liked Scanners enough. I gave it a seven, but I mean, Rabbit was just. Boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as as dull as a winter up in Thunder Bay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, you know, what I should do is like throughout. I, I should should have started when you're doing Cronenberg. I should just do a bunch of Letterkenny references throughout. You know, because yesterday was a Texas-sized Big Ten Four. That wouldn't be offensive or anything. It's not. It's Letterkenny. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I, like we've we've done. I would say a majority of Cronenberg's work, early work, right? We've done we've done a lot of the early stuff, and we kind of went in chronological order. It's kind of interesting how I decided to do that, and we didn't do that with Craven, but we did do that with Cronenberg's output, and um, like in the previous episodes that we've done, um, we we kind of started out with his early stuff. So we did Rabbit, we did. Um, uh, Rabbit was from 1977. We did Scanners, which is from uh, 1981. And now we're on to Videodrome, which 
was released in 1983. It was the direct follow-up to Scanners. And um, Videodrome is a movie that I actually, you know, I have seen. And I've seen it one time. I really, really liked it when I saw it. This was back in college. Uh, fond memories of being in my college townhouse watching it with a flagon of vanilla vodka. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just enjoying my... Wow, what my, a... What a- what a time in college. Yeah, like, my Netflix between, physical disc delivery. <laughs> being in college, in between class. Oh, what am I going to do? Nah, this wow. was at night. This is nighttime. Oh, I was wasn't in between classes. I, I wasn't that type of person. No, Why but... Not? I don't know. It was, a, it was a fun time. I remember distinctly watching this with uh, our, my friends in our townhouse, and um, we were just kind of blown away by the the body horror element to Cronenberg's um, movie and how um, weird it was and how, you know, it kind of went in different directions. And I think that's what really stood out to me. And I actually, I remember distinctly using it as inspiration for like writing a story because I was doing creative writing at that time. I was in a creative writing class and it's like, use it as inspiration. So um, I miss those days. Yeah. Getting a late night. Hey, can you read this 20 page story? What'd you think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was uh that was the that was the college time. It's a fun time. You but know, yeah. fun fact, um I don't know why he was suggested for the project, but instead of video drone, we could have gotten da- David Cronenberg's Return of the Jedi. Ooh. Around the same time frame, huh? Yeah, because in uh, 83, when they were looking for a director for that, Cronenberg was one of the ones that they tried pitching it to, and he said no. Can you he... imagine? That would, that's just like a kind of a weird thing for, for Cronenberg to get in 1983. Well same, well, same thing, too. David Lynch was also offered the chance to right. return of the Jedi. Right. But... And David Lynch kind of got those weird offers, too. Like, you know... Um, he did a few movies that didn't really make much sense. To, in 1984, he did Dune. So, I mean, it kind of makes sense. He was like, there, I guess it was like this list of directors, right? That were like up and coming. It had cool out- movies, Weird, cool output. Yeah. Like, hey, you did Eraserhead and uh, The Elephant Man. You want to you wanna do a like a big, direct, big budget? Return of the Jedi? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, no. So I can say thing too. Like, I can totally see like you know Cronenberg too being like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Yeah. Like, what the hell do you want me to do with Space Wizards? Not only that, but like Cronenberg had made a pretty big deal about directing his own content too. Yeah, that's yeah, from the scuttlebutt that I've read online. That's yeah. One of the main reason why he turned it down was he had he doesn't have an interest in. Yeah, doing somebody else's work, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that makes sense. You know, that's he—he he pretty much. He's not tour. Yeah, he, he stuck to his own his own content, and I I, I can um, appreciate that. You know, you, you know your own content best. So if you're the writer, who's better to direct it than you? Who's like seen it from all different angles when you're writing it? See, I can see the, the polite Canadian way. So I can see Cronenberg turn that down, be like, uh, "Sorry, no friend. Uh, I'm gonna make a film." Uh, with uh, UHF signals in it that take over your mind and body and there's going to be a vagina gut. 
<laughs> oh, thank you. And then David Lynch being like, you tell that fat fuck George Lucas to get off his ass and direct the film himself, you fucking asshole. Making Dune. The, the two, yeah, the two sides of the auteur director. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Instead, in 1983, we, did, we didn't get David Cronenberg's Return of the Jedi. We, we got Videodrome. And I'm I'm happy with that. You you've ne- you had never seen Videodrome before this, right? Nope, but I it's a just like with Scanners, uh, another film that I know the name. I know, but I kind you, not like you probably the, know the motto, right? The yeah. tagline, "Long live the new Flash." Like that's yes. kind of a thing that's gone further I've than seen. just the film itself. The film poster is very recognizable and you know catchy. You know the basic idea behind the film you know i know so it's you know like scanners it's something that's definitely been around in the cultural zeitgeist enough for me to know about it yeah i mean and i would say that probably videodrome is one of david Cronenberg's most recognizable movies like you have the fly for sure scanners yes and videodrome those are those are like the main three, and then also you know some of his earlier output like Shivers and Rabbit is very well received as well. But these are the big three, and I think Videodrome we kind of see because it you know it's just prior to The Fly. It's uh, about I think two years prior to The Fly, three years. Uh, three years. Um, you can kind of see where uh, the especially since we've done the movies pretty much in chronological order. You know there have been some that we didn't cover in between them. But we, you can kind of see the trajectory of Cronenberg heading that direction. Um, Videodrome is pretty, like, nearly the same type of body horror element that The Fly gets to. Um, obviously influenced by different things, but you, you definitely can see the trajectory of, of Cronenberg's um, output and his thoughts and you know how he's covering the body horror element to it and, and he's grown a lot as a director too in between i would say even in between scanners and videodrome those two years he really has grown as a director and as a filmmaker because here in videodrome he's kind of got like bigger you know, he's got some bigger names he's got some um you know people recognizable people and within when when you're in scanners, you know he kind of went for like still low budget uh, Canadian actors, as we kind of mentioned when we talked about uh, the acting in scanners in our previous episode with Stephen Lack, who was lacking <laughs> acting chops. Um, here, you know he's he's kind of everything is kind of like at a higher level than his previous output. James Woods definitely adds a certain cachet. To- mm. He does. Production. Like I said, James Woods is a you know now a complete asshole. I like to always point that out, just so you know. You know he's a total garbage human, but he's pretty good in video drama. I do have to point that out. Like you, you know, props to him. He's good in video drama, and that's hey, listen. And if you forgot a year ago when we did vampires, uh, that's how Ryan would always preface introducing James Woods. James mm-hmm. Woods, uh, great actor, uh, but. Now an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I like to renowned renowned Twitter asshole. James <laughs> yep, <laughs> exactly. I like to I like to just point that out and preface Listen, everything. He's an old man now, so want, he you know, it's just could be dementia. 
<laughs> I yeah. don't want any. I don't want any listeners to mistake this for appreciation for James Woods. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate the man he used to be, right? The the guy who did Videodrome. But uh, what about Hercules? Uh, was he in Hercules? Yeah, wasn't he Hades? Was he? Yeah, I, I didn't even so. know. You know what? To be honest with you, you have you have a better working knowledge of Hercules than I do. Yeah, he was. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. say so. Kingdom Hearts, uh, you know, rip your alley. You're true. Yeah. Yep, you're you're right. You're right. Yeah, no, that's 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 right. Um, he was he was the secret agent that you have to do that stupid fucking flying mission that's a pain in the ass and Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Wow. Yeah, yeah, you you know you know more about James Wood's <laughs> output than I do, honestly. Well, uh, yeah, no. He He's was. A thespian. And and to be honest with you, you talk about Hercules so much, I thought you were talking about the TV show. No, no, that's Yeah. Uh, you meant you meant the the Disney movie. That's that's Hercules. The journey begins. Hercules. Yeah, you, one you, day, one day we will do all of Kevin Sorbo's fine work. Kevin Sorbo, also another renowned asshole, also always an asshole. True. Yeah, I just like to point that out. I don't want anybody to mistake my appreciation for James Woods. So, but yeah, no, I mean, I like Video Drum. It definitely, it definitely was an uh, upward trajectory for Cronenberg. And and here he's, you know, he's working with James Woods, who at the time, you know, had a pretty pretty good career. He's working with Debbie Harry, which you know, is an interesting choice for this movie, but I think works really well. Um, which we'll talk about, you know, Debbie Harry's uh, presence here. Um, and I think that he's, you know, he's got a good thing going on and he's got a bigger budget here. And we'll talk about how that adds to Videodrome's uh, allure. I would also say, too, um, you mentioned the filmmaking aspect. But I would also say, too, like, yes, he does, I think, quite a bit compared to Scanners. Takes leaps and bounds in his filmmaking and his direction. Mm-hmm. But not only that, too, screenplay-wise, too. Mm. It's a much tighter more focused, better written film yeah. than Scanners is. Yep. Scanners is a great idea, and if you took what he did here with Videodrome and then like maybe redid Scanners or like you know did it later, it'd be great. I, outside, you know, yeah. outside of having Michael Ironside, but because it kind of lacks the focus that Videodrome has, you know, and I think he, you know, he, yep, you definitely see the growth, you know, in his. In all his facets of filmmaking, you know, special effects, you know, directing, screenplay, you know. Yeah, so I definitely agree with you. The screenplay is a lot tighter. It's a lot more streamlined and flowing, whereas you could say pretty much every Cronenberg that we've covered so far, you know, Rabid, uh, Scanners, the, those two both are get bogged down by their script itself. Like, the, the quiet moments of those scripts um, do not bode well for the rest of the movie they they kind of what should be like a fast-paced movie kind of gets turned into a slog because of that script writing and direction so i i, I definitely agree with that with video drum all right so let's take a break real quick uh talking about the movie let's talk about the beer that we have on the show today um <clears throat> we were chasing our white whale with this beer uh i i had to do some research to actually find this beer around because um, I wasn't sure that we were going to have it around. Um, we had had an interest in it. We saw that it was coming out, but because the brewery founders, um, is not near us and sometimes they don't distribute certain beers, um, 
in our vicinity just because of logistics or, you know, whatever. Uh, I wasn't sure we were going to have it. So I did some research. I, I tracked down the nearest um, store that had it in a 40-mile radius. And luckily, it happened to be where our buddy uh, frequents and works. And so we asked him to swing by and see if he could find this beer. And sure enough, they had two packs, uh, two, four, two four packs of it. And he grabbed him for both of us. And... That's the story of how we're bringing you Founders Ultimate Oktoberfest to the show today. Pretty, uh, pretty exciting stuff, right? The, uh, the, the journey of a, of a um, beer connoisseur <laughs> on, on how you, <laughs> how you get some of these beers uh, to your doorstep. Because a lot of times, especially ones that are where they're not really locally distributed, it's pretty, it's nearly impossible if you're looking for it to try to get it. So. Uh, yeah, we're, we've got Founders Ultimate Oktoberfest on the show today, and um, I think we've covered Founders Oktoberfest, like the the traditional Marzen, on the show before. Is that right? Do you remember? I would have. To I, I think so. we did. It'd be, like, a, it'd, it'd be a blind spot if we did. Yeah, it's definitely a staple of my um, fall season. I think I've gotten the Founders uh, pack like of Oktoberfest every year for like the past three years. So I think at some point we have done it. And I think their their Oktoberfest is really really good. Uh, it's nice and malty. It's rich. Um, they do a really they good job with that. They chinsed out this year. Usually fifteen pack. Now it's a twelve pack. That is true. Um, I've I've heard because pretty much beer ingredients in general are going up. So so like there's a much smaller margin of the bottom line. So that oh, may I be imagine. why. No, I imagine it's yeah. not like it's not. The shittiest thing, but I mean, no, it was kind of expensive this year, though. You know, especially you know they're charging basically twenty bucks for a, a twelve pack instead of what you normally would get for a fifteen. So, you know, the, those those three beers do kind of add up, but I still did it because I want to support founders. Um, we like, we like what they do. That's right, I do. I like. I've I've tried to get pretty much every fifteen pack they they make. So yeah, so this Oktoberfest. This ultimate Oktoberfest is their Mars in style, but they've taken it a step further and they have aged it in uh, bourbon barrels. So um, I have to look at the bottle because I'm not sure how long exactly they've aged it for. Um, long enough. Nine months. Yep. Nine months in a bourbon barrel. So they took their Mars in style. They let it sit in a bourbon barrel for nine months, then they packaged it, shipped it out, and that's what Ultimate Oktoberfest is. So, I want to start with your thoughts. Um, what do you think about the Ultimate Oktoberfest? Well, let me just say, too, this was a beer that I was looking pretty pretty much forward to. Um, it's not often that you get to see somebody doing something unique with a Marzen, with their mm-hmm. Oktoberfest. Uh, really the only other unique thing that's going on for Oktoberfest is, you know, whether or not the brewery decides to do an October, you know, Marzen as their Oktoberfest or Fest beer. That's about it. So them aging it in a bourbon, bar- uh, in bourbon barrels and making it an Imperial at 10% ABV was definitely intriguing. Now, as Ryan will him and haw about, I like to him and haw about, uh, bourbon beers. Because 
I can like them, but as I've said before a thousand times when we've done these beers on the podcast, it's a very thin line between the bourbon barrels and the bourbon taste and the beer that they're you know trying to uh, pair with. It's always a very delicate balance, and I think, at least for me, if it goes too far to the bourbon barrel side, you lose all aspects of what make that style of beer that they're trying to elevate to something new special, and it just kind of creates, okay, like, if I wanted, you know, the taste of bourbon, I'd be drinking bourbon. Mm -hmm. It has its place, like, mainly, like, you know, there are good stouts out there that do it well. Like I said, it's a very fine line, though, that you have to kind of manage to do it. That being said, as I'll take a swig, I think I think this beer does an okay job, and that kind of, and that saddens me. It's a unique idea on, and definitely a twist I wouldn't think to do with a Marzen. However, that being said. The bourbon aspect of this beer totally overpowers the Mars and, and leaves it very blind, you know, totally kind of blinded to your taste buds. The first thing you're going to sip when you drink this is a oaky, smoke, slight smoky bourbon taste, you know, that nice vanilla paint thinner. And then as you drink it, you get a slight hint of breadiness. A slight hint of that Marzen maltiness, but it's very muted because the beer itself, the mouth feels very thin. It doesn't have that hardiness that you would expect while drinking a Marzen. And even when you do on some swigs, kind of find that combination to be perfect. Because I have, like, as I'm drinking it, kind of have found, like, ooh, like, yeah, I get more, like, I do get a little bit more Oktoberfest there. It is rare, and by the time you do get that, the aftertaste itself is also very bourbon. So, if you like bourbon, you know, bourbon barrel types of beers, this is a unique pairing. You might like it. For me, because there is such a thin line between what makes a bourbon beer good and bad, it's not bad by any stretch. It's definitely drinkable. I've been drinking it for like 40 minutes now. I'm almost done. I'm going to have to switch to something else because it is 10%. Um, and it does go down relatively easy for that 10%. But because it is so very much pronounced on that bourbon, very, you know, on the front of the palate, back of the palate, and you don't really get any Marzen notes out that, you know, that much, I would say, you know, try it. But other than that, I would would not go out of my way to try this again, which is a shame. Yeah, I mean, I I would, I, I would much rather drink a Oktoberfest. Yeah, I I agree. I think that you know this is an interesting beer to have, uh, to try and to you know change up what you're drinking during the fall, September, October season. You know because you can only have so many Oktoberfests, and then they kind of all blend together, right? But um, I will say that I think that Ultimate Oktoberfest is like a nice treat. It's not going to replace your Marzen style. Um, it's definitely not going to be, you know, if you're thinking I want an Oktoberfest, 
the bourbon barrel aged Oktoberfest is not what you're going to go to first. You're going to go to a straight traditional Oktoberfest, and there's a reason for that. Mars and Styles are very drinkable, um, perhaps a little bit heavier than the general, the traditional fest beer, but still very drinkable. You can still have a couple of them. Uh, the Ultimate Oktoberfest is not a beer that you can do that with uh, as, as easily, I should say. Um, it is a sipping beer. It is a uh, heavy, heavier style because of that bourbon um, element to it. And you really do need to like the bourbon style uh, in general, like bourbon barrel aged series in general, to get any sort of um, appreciation out of this beer. With that said, if you do like bourbon barrel styles, I think that you will like this Marzen because it does pretty much take on the flavor of a bourbon barrel aged beer. And that is both a good and a bad thing. Like Martin said, um, the good thing is the bourbon notes come out pretty well. Um, and if you like that style, you're definitely going to appreciate the bourbon notes to it. But it does overwhelm the Marzen style to an extent where it is hard to pick out sometimes where you're getting that malty breadiness of the Marzen. Um, it almost morphs into like being a very, like a, like a, um, thinner mouthfeel of like a bourbon barrel aged stout, you know, and I should say that, you know, with the caveat that like, you're not getting all of the stoutness of it. You're not getting all of the coffee and cocoa and stuff like that of a stout, but it does have a thinner mouthfeel to it. And the bourbon barrel aged element does take over and kind of overplay the Mars in a little bit. Um, so the interesting thing that I would I would be um, curious about with founders is where do they come up with the nine months for aging, and what if they played around with that? What if they went a little bit lower on the aging, maybe six months, maybe five months, um, maybe nine is a little too much, you know? Maybe we're infusing too much bourbon uh, woodiness into this beer. Um, so I'm curious, you know, if they go with nine months next time or if they tasted it and they said, you know what, maybe we need to go a little lower because it's kind of all an experiment, right? You know, you're kind of, you're kind of taking the beer and especially when you have something like up, something that needs to be aged, like an Oktoberfest, it's kind of like up in the air. Like, is it going to be good? Is it not going to work out? Um, you don't really know until you wait those nine months. So I can kind of understand, you know, that this is an experiment. I'd be curious next time to see if they do it like a, at a different uh, aging level. And, and I'm, I'm curious what they, you know, the, what founders themselves, the brewers actually thought about this. Like, did they, were they satisfied? Were they a little bit put off by the amount of bourbon that came out? Um, things to think about, you know, for next year. But ultimately, I think it's pretty good. Um, I like it for a treat. Uh, I don't, I would never pick this up in favor of an Oktoberfest though. Um, I will stick with Marzen's for my, my fall go-to beers. Well said. All right. Let's talk. It's kind of, surpri- uh, kind of surprising that like it was winning medals at, for uh, for best Oktoberfest. Mm. That is surprising. I mean, I think Founders traditional Oktoberfest is really good. Um, I don't think that the ultimate Oktoberfest showcases how good their Oktoberfest is. And I think that's a problem. You kind of want, you want like the little bit of the barrel age and you want to show how good their Oktoberfest is in the same uh, beer. And I don't think that the ultimate Oktoberfest does that. I think the bourbon kind of overpowers their 
really good Marzen. All right, so let's talk about Videodrome. Um, I think it's a really interesting movie, and I think there's a lot to talk about. So I, I don't know exactly where to start with this, but um, one thing we do need to talk about is how on the nose uh, David Cronenberg is with a lot of his character naming conventions here. Uh, because we do get um, pretty early on, we, we meet a guy who's like the, a t a, I don't know what they specifically call him. He's a professor and they call him like a TV uh, expert or something like that. And his name is Brian Oblivion. <laughs> but it's like, you know, Oblivion as in like an Irish name, like Brian Oblivion. <laughs> but uh, it's pretty on the nose. It's, 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 it's just like uh, everyone's favorite, the, the best boss in the world. Uh Dr. King K, I mean, King K Rule from Donkey Kong Country. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, where you have like that. Those nice rare naming conventions are Gruntilda the Witch, you know. The stand in, you know, the, the middle initial that basically makes a, a pun in yeah. the name. Yeah, and then not only that, but you have um, Barry Convex, who's the guy, the guy who owns an optical store selling glasses and also runs the Videodrome program. His name is Barry Convex, and you get it. That that might <laughs> kind, that might kind of slip over a few people, you know, with the con convex uh, lenses and things like that. Well, Especially almost. if you're not like not a glasses person, you're like, I don't know, I have perfect twenty twenty vision. I'm lucky. I'm one of the lucky ones. Fuck you. Yeah. I got I got I got floaters now because I got nearsighted vision and my fucking jelly in the back of my eyes going to deteriorate faster than yeah. you. I had a retinal tear because I have shitty eyesight and that's great. <laughs> Cost me over a thousand dollars to get it repaired just because I have shitty eyes. But you with you listener with your perfect twenty twenty vision. You know what? Unsubscribe that, right now. Seriously, <laughs> no matter the Louis C.K. bit where he said, talks about him having a, a fucked up ankle and the doctor just being like, yeah, you're old. You got a shitty ankle now. Deal with it. The older I get just rings more and more oh, yeah. true. Just like, hey, what's wrong with me? You're fucking old. Yeah. You, 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 deal with it. <laughs> like, what do I do about this? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing you can do. <laughs> you just learn to live with it until you die. Be, and it goes away. Like be like your forefathers, suffer in silence, okay? Yep, yep, exactly. Yeah, no, it's it's great. But I, I like that, I like Cronenberg's naming convention. It has not changed from, um, uh, you know, his... Rest, rest of his films. Yeah, exactly. Because he, he, he always kind of goes over the top of those naming conventions. Um, but I, so like, the film itself is kind of hard to summarize because it kind of jumps all over the place. Like, I really, really like the beginning of the movie because it does start off with a very um, off-kilter pace and it presents the viewer with something that's kind of taboo within the horror movie element. Um, even though with horror movies we are talking about death and murder and killers and serial killers, within horror, and I, I've said that, I probably have said this before, Within, you know, uh, TV shows that are about um, murder, right? Like all your police procedural TV shows, CSI, CSI Miami, CSI uh, San Diego, CSI uh, <laughs> New Orleans. Stop. There's there's only one CSI, and it's fucking CSI Miami. You're not. 
Horatio Kane doing, yeah. you know, his pun and beanie, 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 beanie. CSI Reykjavik. <laughs> well, did you like I said? Like, did you see fucking Peacock and like NBC Universal? We need money. What are we gonna do? Let's bring back Law and Order, like seven different se- se- series. So they're gonna have Law and Order, Law and Order SVU. They're bringing back Law and Order Criminal Intent. They're starting up Law and Order. Uh, like criminal syndicate or some bullshit. <laughs> Sam Waterston's like eighty-five years old, and they had—they're wheeling him out to be Jack McCoy again. <laughs> like, please stop, please stop. Like, Let me rest like, in peace. Like, like, yeah. like I, I'm kind of happy about it. I mean, it's gonna be garbage because NBC hasn't done anything good television-wise since you know, I don't know, like uh, Thirty Rock. But I mean, just—it's just thinking about it. It's just like let the poor man die in peace, okay? Like. <laughs> Let me have my memories of watching, like, you know, the reruns on TNT from, like, 4 to 7 o'clock in my head of Hang 'em High McCoy in his prime. Not 80-year-old Sam Waterston, okay? A little off, off track. No, it's all right. Well, yeah, no, what I was saying about the police procedurals, though, like, police procedurals, horror movies, they tend to uh, view death in, like, a weird sort of, like, we kind of take it seriously, but also at the same time, like, eh, it's kind of jokey or... It's blasé. Yeah, it's yeah, blasé. exactly. Like, like when someone dies in a movie, you see the funeral, like, everyone's sad, and then you move on, right? Like, because dealing with the repercussions of death and the depression and the ensuing, you know, stages of grief is not really good television or not good movie making. Because you could, you could have a whole 90 minutes about the stages of grief that someone went through. So it's kind of all skipped over. In Videodrome, we kind of go into that in detail in the beginning of the movie because we have James Wood's character, who's Max Wren. He runs Civic TV. It's a cable TV station that uh, specializes in pornographic content, violent content, um, stuff that you just wouldn't see on like the normal cable, like normal networks. Well, hold on. First off, you got to explain to the children what UHF even is. Well, it's ultra high frequency. So, oh, so okay. What? Well, well, explain to the children like that's. Well, so he's basically he's he's intercepting these transmissions from other, what he thinks is like another channel, another station that's in a different country, for that matter. And he's got a guy that's working on just inter- intercepting these channels, uh, so that he can track down like the best content, right? He's he's trying to track down. Uh, what, what generally is not shown right now? Like he and he wants, they kind of Cronenberg kind of makes it out that what Max has been pitched by the people, the normal people that give him you know pitches for TV shows. It's just not enough at this point. Like they, I think one lady Masha brings him like this really like softcore porn show that's like based on Apollo and Dionysus. It's like uh, Caligula without yeah, it's, like yeah. It's, basi- it's basically like a really soft core Caligula of just like women running around half naked, bringing grapes and wine to, to people. And he's like, "This isn't enough. This is like the barest of the bear." Like people, people now are not watching TV and are like, "Oh, there's a nude woman on there and getting her rocks off." No, no, they need weird fucking shit now. And he recognizes that. Like even in 1983, people needed weird fucking shit to get off. It's not like anything's new now where you have like the triple exorcist where people needed to be like pea soup vomited on to get off you know while (laughs) while 
Reagan is naked. No. Uh, it's been around since 1983, at least, as Videodrome can attest. And so he's looking for, like, the, the best stuff, the, the newest stuff, the most pushing the boundary stuff that he could find. And so that's why he's trying to intercept these uh, radio waves, these frequencies, uh, from other countries that might be doing something different that he can, like, track down and then kind of get on his TV station. And that was kind of before, like, <clears throat> streaming and stuff where people would come to you and pitch shit. Like, he's, like, trying to be the person that finds that stuff and tracks it down and gets it onto his, his channel. The point being is UHF, I mean, it's not that he's pirating it is what makes it UHF. The point is it's radio being broadcast over TV. Mm -hmm. It's radio broadcasting waves. Him being just like, yeah, give me, got this Japanese guy. What, what you got here? Samurai porn? Let's watch this. <laughs> right. <laughs> and honestly, most of the shit that he's got on there is like, ex it would be considered pretty boring. Like that Samurai Dreams show that he's got on there. I thought it said, like, sauna dreams when I was, like, <laughs> yeah. the font. I was, like... Might as well be, right? It's, like, that's, like... It, it's kind of funny, too, because that is... I've seen movies like that. I've seen movies like Samurai Dreams where it's, like, you know, mostly softcore porn, but, like, there's, like, a hint of a storyline, but it's really slow-moving. And that's pretty much what Samurai Dreams meant. Except in this case, it's a TV show. And he's, like, you're not going to understand episode 10 if you don't watch the first three no i think they'll get it that, that's pretty much what james wood says too he's like my my viewer base they ain't gonna watch episode one and two they're they're, they're not quote unquote watching okay also brings you back to the glory days of the hot channel sitting there uh, you know having to mm. close your eye and try to like <laughs> you do like the uh wait the, for the unscrambled signal yeah signal to come in you do like, like the, the what, are, what do they call those like the magic art yeah. whatever those <laughs> things are and you like try to pick out the nipple from the I think I saw a hint of pubic hair there <laughs> from the scrambled porn channel mm -hmm. at least you got the tires, tires at least sometimes back in the, day. the volume came in you could hear what was going on you couldn't appreciate the visuals but you could hear it you had to get creative there it's also funny too it is uh, it's intentional irony that he's got in there that guy that's airing softcore porn and uh violent you know violent stuff is uh, on the civic channel mm -hmm. like you know like yeah. well be yeah because uh, in in video drum actually max ren he goes on to a tv broadcast and they're talking about there's basically this woman who's doing the broadcast is like kind of set this up she's got debbie harry um who plays nikki brand who's like a radio dj and and kind of gives out like self-help advice and she's got her on there. She uh, say she is the inspiration for uh, Tara Reid and Urban Legend. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> Basically, except they they kind of like with Tara Reid, they kind of went even further. Like Nikki Brandon here, it's kind of interesting because they make her out to be like, especially at the beginning of the movie, sort of, um, I don't know, innocent and uh, concerned, concerned about the uh, use of violence and sexuality and and the. Um, uh, desensitization of that to listeners and viewers and then all of a sudden when she's going out with max she's a literal freak in the bed well no but even before that when we i mean she seems kind of concerned on the tv show but when we see her at the, D, at the studio recording she's dressed up like in her olivia newton john let's get physical outfit. yeah and then as like someone's like on a suicide hotline she's like <laughs> Your, your life's a wreck. 
so right. So right about the. But 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 you need help. Get help. You're so right about the Olivia Newton-John outfit. I did find that really distracting it too. Like, why is she in like a work workout outfit? And not only that, she has she has her headphones on, and I'm doing it like right now. Like, like I'm in. We are the world, and Michael Jackson's yelling at me because I'm Huey Lewis. I'm singing <laughs> off key, and I got my headset like just the one, the one muff on my right ear. We are That's like how she's like looking, yeah. like when she's trying to talk somebody off a ledge, essentially. Like when yeah. she's like, "I want to kill my sister," she's like, "No, don't do it. Just, just listen to me. Listen to my voice. Call the Civic TV, uh, the Civic, no, the C Ram or whatever, the C Canadian Radio, A A A." Uh, a help hotline and we'll get you help okay maybe yeah. you just do things fucking differently up in canada we maybe. run prizes for cars and football tickets and they're like oh, don't kill your sister and we'll give you a prize <laughs> yeah i mean i think it's i think debbie harry's character is really interesting in this movie and it it kind of brings out the the fact especially on that talk show where max says listen i give people an avenue so they're not doing this on the street uh you know they're they're watching in the the, the comfort of their own home you know they they've got the 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 uh, moisturizer right next to them they got tissues they're not going out on the street and like finding someone to do this to they're they're watching it and carrying out their fantasies through civic tv and so he doesn't find himself to be a bad person and and he does have like Cronenberg kind of goes into the fact that he does have like a moral ethic ethical code too uh, when he's talking to masha and he's like you know i i avoid the bad stuff I, I I have a a feeling about things. I know when something is not, uh, you know, when when they there's like an actual like crime or something. And so he he kind of talks about this as he starts to intercept these radio signals of Videodrome, which is like this weird, um, really 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 cheap torture and sex rape uh, TV show that he's been intercepting, and uh, they have an initially think it's coming from like malaysia uh is that racist i don't know <laughs> i don't know where they got that from but uh eventually they find out it's just coming from pittsburgh and it's uh, george romero is broadcast absolutely he's making these really low budget uh basically like torture porn movies before tor- torture porn was actually a thing and max loves it and so does nikki um debbie harry's character and they kind of you know, they get down to it and they it kind of inspires them to go their own BDSM route. And Nikki is, uh, you know, obviously into like cutting and pain and experiencing the border between pain and pleasure. And it expresses interest in actually going on the show where they basically flog and whip women and basically tie them up and debase them. And that's the show. Okay, well, okay, so let's... Take it back a second. Let's go to like James Woods and Debbie Harry. When like he pops, uh, how would you feel on your first date with someone that, by the way, is the most the weirdest fucking date setup ever? Because they're on that sh- the show. The lady's trying to talk to Doctor Oblivion, and James Woods like, I think you're beautiful. Would you go on a date with me? And they just start chit chatting up on the side, and then they're like, Excuse me, excuse me. But then they go on their date. And then they come back, and he's got his, uh, what whiskey does he have there? Do we even get to see it? I don't even know. I don't know. We'll just call it the, uh, 
what the, I'm trying to blank. What the hell's the whiskey that uh, Kurt Russell has in uh, the thing? Um, uh, what is it? What is it called? What is it called? <laughs> That's annoying me now that I don't. <laughs> J and B. Yeah, so J&B. they're drinking their J and B scotch, sitting there, and then she's like sifting through his video bin, like, you "Got any porno?" Yeah. And then he's like, huh? And she's like, it turns me on. It's like, oh, okay. How would you feel, like, if, you know, you're sitting there and, like, like are you going to do Netflix and chill? And she's like, got any porn? I'd be, I'd be like, yes, I, I sure do, actually. All I have right. A lot of 70s old porn that I've uh, obtained over the years. No. So it's not, like, the weirdest thing, but okay. No, no, then yeah, then, no, but, but I mean, you, like, it definitely you, but is. Then you, but then you go on to... I got this thing, and then they pop in a Videodrome, and it's some poor woman getting beat and smacked on the ass. And she's like, I'm actually a little bit turned on by this. And she's like, I, I like this. this. And he's like, really? Well, and then, I, what I think then, is then, really, But then she's, like, then she's like, cut me. <laughs> I really think what is interesting, too, is like, you, you have to assume, like, Max has probably, like, tapes and tapes of porn, right? Like, he has all well, kinds of stuff from his... Well, we get to see that in the his, opening. Yeah, he has the all kinds of stuff from, the, from his TV sit, channel. He's sitting there sifting through the pictures, which again, the weirdest. Like, what was he even eating? Like, he's got milk that he's oh. drinking, but what, what was that he was eating? It's like in the espresso beginning? with like, he's like dipping. Um, what, is what that like leftover like, pizza? Yeah, it's it looks pizza. like like it's the weird. Like, oh, so fucking. Yeah, he's weird. like dipping like, pizza into his his uh, espresso. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, no, but like I th- you, what I was getting at is he, like he ha- he probably has a ton of porn, but what he chooses to show Nikki. Is this weird fucking torture porn that he's like? You may like it. You may. You probably won't like it. Like, I think we could turn it off if you want. But I see. So like the whole like so that part right there, and we'll get talked about it more when it comes to like the whole hallucination aspect. I think that is like from there on, like is where the whole hallucination is starting. Oh, for sure, for sure. Because the, yeah. yeah, the 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 film does really make it evident that like once you take in this the signal, yeah. the video drum signal, like that's it. That's it's starting. You're you're getting a fucking brain tumor. It's like yeah. it's like entering Chernobyl. Like that's it. You, how how far did you get? 100, 150 <laughs> feet into Chernobyl. All right, you're dead, man. Four hundred Rodkins. What? Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's definitely you know I I do think that in in a way yes that. The hallucination hallucination element of Videodrome is in fact starting like even before we really recognize that anything weird is going on. The weirdness of how Nikki acts is really the hallucination, and they even say later on in the movie that Nikki is like a figment. It's it's really just been used to influence Max, and she really wasn't even there. Like she was, you know. They kind of make it seem like all along Nikki there hasn't been a Nikki. She's been. She was part of Videodrome, and and we murdered her. <laughs> but she hasn't been like real. And I do think that that's an interesting element, and makes Videodrome make more sense after you watch it, and you kind of think like, well, what? what? There's some weird stuff going on in that storyline, like how people would react. And then ultimately, you start thinking about it. And you're like, oh, okay, it's hallucinations, and Cronenberg kind of playing with the viewer. And I think that's where the that's where Videodrome goes, you know, throughout the the movie, and that's why it works that the the film shifts so much. I really like the snuff element of Videodrome itself because it's very, like I said at the beginning, it's very taboo. 
to, to deal with death as a reality of something of and especially murder as a reality of something that happens uh in is it really snuff though we don't really get to see any snuff elements until like the very end like, yeah i mean he goes on his like where he's you know getting programmed to kill yeah they, they, like, like actually, the whole they that, don't really that. go into that they definitely go in i mean they definitely make it seem like there is an element to that because they talk about you know torture and uh the and how no one comes back <laughs> there was like well, well no, no no one comes no, I, back in the next episode no, I, I mean, I get that, but, I mean, we don't actually get to see it. So That's I mean, true, like, that's true. It, so th- It's that's... implied. It's implied to the viewer and to, to Max, because we really don't know much more than Max. We're, we're, we're all implied. Yes, there's snuff involved, but we don't really know for sure. And it could, again, because, like you said, he, we don't see it. Max doesn't see it. It's just implied. Who knows if that's really happening or if, you know, it's just like get an actor to come in like hey can you can you deal with some flogging i mean it's not any different than like the kink porn that's out now you know using machines and whips and stuff like that um it does bring up an interest interesting point is it was there any murder to begin with or is it just this sinister um video signal that's that's causing issues and hallucinations um i do think that's a really interesting element to Videodrome that you have a character who is basically a stand-in for the viewer who really you know doesn't know a whole lot more than we do and is very unreliable especially towards the end of the movie where we don't really know if what we're seeing is reality is he really experiencing this um and what is Cronenberg showing us because we know that in the movie multiple characters talk about how tv is like the the eye of the mind right like what we see on tv becomes our reality because we're basically tv is like a retina we're taking in what's on the tv it becomes reality our reality is based on what we see and i think that's a really interesting scope to this movie um that gives it a really odd um tone that is hard to kind of break through and i think that it's a place where some people will not appreciate Videodrome. Some people will not appreciate that. While I think that Cronenberg's being pretty explicit with his themes, they will not like the fact that the actual hallucination moments um, are not clear whether they're meant to be real or not. And and I think that people will be put off by that. Some, some people don't like to feel like they don't know what's going on or like if it's real or not. Uh, what do you think about that? Like the fact that we don't know what is real, what is not, what is meant to be interpreted as actually happening. I, I no, I agree. Um, the lucidity of it all is going to, you know, depending on how you are as a viewer and how you intake the information, whether or not you're going to appreciate it. Um, it's definitely there. Because again. Throughout the entire film, with that lucidity going on, like that nice dreamlike hallucination that he's going on throughout, you know, three quarters of the film, um, you can pick in specific moments, like as a viewer yourself, where you think it the reality finally breaks. Mm-hmm. Like you know, for me, as a viewer, as a voyeur in this journey, for me. After watching it all, I would I would assume after 
his first watching of Videodrome, everything is a hallucination that he's taking in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're just seeing how his mind is reacting and everything. He's, you know, an unreliable narrator basically after the first 20 minutes. You know, every, and everything's a fiction, kind of. That's for me. Some Somebody else might find, like, you know, maybe it's like a later break. Some people might not like it at all, period. Um, but I do think, you know, I do think that's a very interesting aspect. I do like that. Um, it's also an, it's an interesting critique, too, on not just television, but media itself, especially coming from the early 80s where, you know, depictions of violence and sex, especially on TV, very toned down compared to today. Mm-hmm. And the outlets that you have to have that expressed uh, a lot... Um, a lot smaller than what we have today because now you can go on the internet and find anything you want. Um, so, you know, that's interesting kind of seeing it from a lens of the 80s. But uh, one question I have, I would have for you on that too, like the whole kind of like media critique of like, you know, the perception that we're seeing. Because I don't think Cronenberg's just specifically referring to television in this. No. I think, like you know, film. Uh-huh. You could also say, like, music and, you know, books. You being, like, a, li- a literature guy, I-, I find it kind of interesting because before you had TV, before you had, uh, you know, recorded music and such, you had, you know, books as the means of transferring information. But for the longest time, that was kind of a, something that was, you know, you had... To, to understand a book, you have to first know how to read. TV being kind of, and, you know, especially now, it's just, you know, a visual thing where you can see and kind of interpret. Do you think, like, there's any kind of, like, connection there? Like, uh, between you know, books and... Like, between what Cronenberg uh, is saying about books and, and then TV? Yeah, and, like, like you know... Yeah, because, I mean, I don't know. Because, like, I don't feel like Videodrome really goes into the element of books or literature um, to the extent that it does uh, television. Cronenberg definitely is making a statement, like you said, not just about TV, but but TV as an entity, you know, whether you are seeing a movie, whether you're watching TV, whatever you're watching on that screen, that screen becomes um, your interpretation of reality because even... You know, when we watch that video with uh, Brian Oblivion, who, who talks about um, how our our own interpretation of reality is based on like what we see. Um, someone's reality may be a little bit different than other person's reality because of what they've experienced and what they've seen. I think that that really the impact there is to say that it's 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 what you've taken in, what you've seen. I don't know, you know, like with books. You could make that case. I don't know that Cronenberg is in I this think, example. I, I, I think, okay, let me kind of rephrase that. Because I don't think he, like, specifically books. But I for me, like, as somebody, and reading a little bit more into it. Because, like, it, like as media as a whole, especially, like, you know, trying to compare it from the 80s to mm-hmm. today and then from before. Books be as, like, a medium, you, to understand books, you have to have the concept of being able to read and have understanding. Yeah. So it's, you know, a more mature kind of way of communication because you have to be able to understand. 
I don't mean mature in like you know a certain way, but like to be able to understand, you have to be able to you know first be able to read it and then comprehend it and kind of process it. Whereas with television and like a lot of digital media now, it's more you know open to the masses for consumption because it's just look and then however your mind kind of decides to process that information is how you interpret it. That's kind of where I was going with that because I, like it's not like anything. It's the book part's not even in the film. I'm just like as like kind of like a media critique kind of thinking about it, and especially with like today now with the internet and being more connected to media itself and being surrounded by media even more so than the '80s. You know, it's kind of just like an interesting idea of how it's all intertwined and in how we kind of interact with it. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, 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 like I said, I don't think Videodrome is really going into that, but I think you could definitely see that as well. I do. Th I think that Cronenberg is just talking specifically. Like, I really, I think the idea of this this homeless shelter that Brian Oblivion and then his his daughter uh, Bianca Oblivion is running, where it's basically based on having homeless people come in and watch TV, like it's going to change their lives. I think it's really an interesting idea of like you know. And, and, and you see too like when they come in there's one guy that's like watching like a it's really hard to see but he's like watching like a open heart surgery or something cannibal holocaust yeah no it's like but it's it's really interesting because it, it he doesn't really go too far into this like sort of pseudo religion of coming in and watching tv and he doesn't really dive into like if it's helping or hurting these people but it is interesting that they're there's they're creating a religion around television, um, you know, as though it's something because it was Brian Oblivion truly believes, or at least the tapes that he made believe that watching TV is going to um, provide some sort of like outlet. And I think that's um, kind of weird too, because Brian Oblivion is a victim of Videodrome, you know, especially since he, he, he watched the signal and becomes like the first victim of Videodrome to, you know, have a brain tumor basically dies because of Videodrome. And yet his whole, um, philosophy is based on the fact that these people are going to get better because they're watching TV. Um, and we have basically Videodrome too, you know, kind of like scanners. We have two factions to Videodrome. We have the faction of the people who are making Videodrome, which is includes Barry Convex, who is the guy who runs an optical store. Um, he makes, he says he makes uh, glasses for third world countries, real cheap glasses for third world countries. And he makes chips for NATO for their weapons. And then he um, also makes this Videodrome video uh, thing that is uh, basically trying to usher in like a new world of, people because they're being um you know basically brainwashed by tv and and they're he he believes that like their uh their sinful nature of watching these these things is uh the perfect way to basically send out the signal to get rid of them and um then you have the other faction which is you know based on brian oblivion's uh philosophy of fighting against these people and that's where the new flesh comes into play and I, it's a really interesting complex scenario that Videodrome sets out 
and I don't feel that Cronenberg really comes down on a particular, um, you know, message or, t- or uh, statement of what he means by this Videodrome complexity. And I think that might be where some people will have a, another issue with Videodrome and that the interpretation is really left up to the viewer. There's many different interpretations that you can have of Videodrome. Um, for one thing, specifically, did the did it, did any of this happen? Uh, or was it a hallucination throughout the entire film? Um, or, you know, was some of it a hallucination, some of it real? Did Max really pull, put a gun into his stomach and then pull it out and then have it, you know, basically connect to his body um, and shoot a guy and have him, like, disintegrate into a cancerous uh, skeleton um did that happen or was that a reality that Cronenberg presented to us through the tv um and then not only that but where do you stand in terms of violence and sexuality that you view is there a good to it is why are you watching this um there's a lot of complexity to videodrome and I don't know that you totally need to understand it I think that the thought itself is enough to just have you appreciate what Cronenberg was trying to get across with with this movie. Um, however, what do you th- what do you think that Cronenberg was saying when he, you know when we talk about sex and violence? Because he seems to side with Max Ren um, at, at some points. You know, of course, he thinks that you know, in making this movie too, it's pretty you know ultraviolent has multiple scenes of body horror sticking hands into sexually explicit crevices um a man literally being big vagina guts yeah (laughs) a man literally being dissolved and you hear him like gasping and gagging on the uh intercom i mean it's pretty ultraviolent and yet in the movie there's also the question that barry convex asks james woods himself why did you watch the snuff film you know, what would make a person want to watch that? And it's kind of like, a again, we talked about that a little bit with Funny Games and Michael Haneke and uh, whether, like, what he was trying to say about why people watch violent videos, why, why do you make them in the first place? What do you think Cronenberg's saying about that? I, 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 oh, I will always say it's uh, curiosity. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, voyeurism. It's to see, you know, something that you're not supposed to see. And I think films, video games, etc., they give you means to see these situations, though, for the most part, not always portrayed realistically, but they give you a chance to, you know, experience that, like, something that's taboo that you're not supposed to see, but you get to. And that's kind of the point of it. It's, you know, so the taboo-ness is what makes it sexy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, there, there's always, there's a, there's a voyeur in all of us, you mm-hmm. know, want, you know, things, certain taboos that, you know, you wouldn't want to explore, but if you were given the chance to peek at, you would. I uh, think that, yeah, I mean, that's I just, it's, that's just human nature, you know? Yeah, I, th- I think like... Uh, Basically, um, Videodrome kind of gets down to that that element of curiosity. I think you're right. Like, everybody has sort of that curiosity. And, and also, there is an element to it of, 
like how much how much can you take how much can you really put up with um not only that though too there's also an element of sorry to interrupt but there's an element of it's the same principle of why do you look at a car crash when you mm-hmm. drive by well fuck that's awful glad that's not me right right and you move on it's the same thing with like you know the voyeuristic ass especially with like violence you know seeing that kind of stuff you can be oh fuck yeah, I mean, I think it, it, not me. it definitely brings up like the same ideas of why we do have like that morbid reality uh, exposure on, on the internet. Like when I was younger, probably like in my teens, I used to be really interested, not not like pervertedly interested, but interested curiously about real life death photos. And it was like a sort of like a, you know, it was... What the hell was that site that like had rotten.com? Like fi- yeah, 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 yeah. It was it was it was not something that you would ever like I was looking at and I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's so cool." It was something that I would look at and it would be like, "Can I can I how much can I possibly like take in without, you know, like being totally disgusted?" And it was it's just like a curiosity thing. And now in my older age, I have really no interest in that because I've already I think like as you get to a certain point, you experience like real hardship, real tragedy, real death. And at a certain point, you kind of take a step back and you say like, you know what? I've experienced enough. Like, I don't really need to go any further into that. I don't I don't really need (laughs) that more more tragedy in my life. But at a certain point you do, you have that curiosity of just like, what is this like? What is death like? What is you know, you have that curiosity. And I think Videodrome kind of captures that really well because I think that's kind of like where Max is at when he's watching that video. It's not truly about being fascinated by what you're seeing. And to be honest with you, he seems to think in the movie that it's truly fake. You know, he he really, he thinks it has good, you know, has has poor production values, which relate, basically is kind of like a, a, it sounds like a negative, but it's really him saying, wow, it's cheap. And it makes it seem real, uh, but he doesn't think it's real. And I, I, I think it's, it's, you know, it's just the curiosity of like, where is this going to go? How, how far is it going to go? Um, that I think that Cronenberg is saying that is pretty much inherent in all humanity. That we want to see how far things can go. Uh, we want to kind of toe the line between um, morbidity. And I think that's where kind of the character that Debbie Harry portrays too, Nikki, kind of toes that line between pain and pleasure and kind of has an interest in both of those elements. Um, And I think Debbie Harry does a really good job as this character too. She doesn't get too much screen time, but she does a great job of portraying the character in a way that you um, understand. She's got like a sexiness to her, an allure to her. Um, but also you're kind of like skeptical of her as a person. And I think she does a really great job in that role. Um, and it's an interesting character for the film, especially since she's truly not a main character throughout most of the movie. I like her boobies. And her boobies are nice too. You can see them a lot. Yeah. Unfortunately she has to uh, snuggle up to James Woods, but <laughs> it's probably a decision that haunts her. But other than that, fun time with Debbie Harry. Uh, and I like the red hair too. I think that, I think it goes, oh, it looks, it's not, yeah, looks yeah. great on her. Really nice. Um, but yeah, 
we haven't really touched there's so there was so much to talk about we haven't really touched on uh the body horror elements to videodrome except for like tangentially but what do you think about the the special effects that uh are in this movie especially you know like you have the whole scenes where james woods is kind of you know put basically for lack of a better term fisting himself in his stomach um you have the the whole gun morphing into his hand um what do you think about the special effects well for one uh one of the reasons why I've been very disappointed so far in the Cronenberg films is with Scanners from Rabbit. Cronenberg's supposed to be this master of body horror. I haven't seen it yet. Finally, we get there. We're here. It's not like the greatest, but we're, we're here. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> special effects were done by the same, same guy that did uh, the effects for American Werewolf in London, which we reviewed earlier this year, so check that episode out. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very good. The whole when we get to see you know James Woods' uh, vagina stomach, <laughs> it's uh, very well done. Um, I think even like the simple effects in the apartment with like the flexing of the TV and the excuse me heater and such that's you know very well done too. You know. The whole him, like, trying to go face first into the TV because he's hearing Debbie Harry moan, essentially, like, uh, uh, every time, like, you know, like, he's, like, kind of, like, tripping, you start to, you know, hear her kind of, like, in the with the background kind of, you know, getting off a little, like, him, like, going into the TV and that kind of effect of him, like, actually going into it is good. Same thing with, like, when the TV's, like, like the pistols coming out of the TV. The effects in this film are really well done. Um, the whole gun, like, the gun, like, kind of connecting to him is kind of, it, it's weird. It's not It's not that it's bad. It's, it is d- d- done well, but, I mean, it's, like, a weird, like, kind of out of nowhere idea. Like, what? But, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's there. Um, I think, yeah, but yeah, I think the effects in the film overall are really a step above. It's definitely miles and miles above from what Scanners and Rabbit has to offer. I think the the scene where uh, Barry Convex uh, dissolves is a really great scene. It's kind of haunting, to be honest with you. You know, where uh, Max shoots him, you know, a few times, and you're like, oh, okay. You know, he's just shot, you know, because uh, other he's shot other people, uh you know, he shot people in the the uh, TV station, and they just died because they were shot. But in this case, he shoots Barry Convex, and Barry Convex basically starts to like dissolve into a skeleton. His uh, he or a like monster, yeah, like he starts like growing cancerous appendages and shit. And then over the loudspeaker, you just hear him like gagging and gurgling. It's a pretty disturbing moment in the film and i think it works really really well and i think they did a good job with the special effects on there that's well, sort of he, he, i say he deserves it who the fuck is having like dancers at a fucking glasses convention like you know, <laughs> doing doing like a vegas like yeah. routine that was like the weird weirdest fucking thing in the I, world i will yeah. say though that i love leslie carson um it's very great to see him in a bigger role in this movie uh since um from what i know him from primarily is Black Christmas and A Christmas Story. You know, Bob Clark really liked to use him in his movies, and um, 
it's great to see him in a bigger role than what he got in those two movies. Um, I think he does a good job here. He has like that very nice slicked back businessman approach to it that uh, I think works really well. But yeah, I, th- I think like the the special effects and the gore are well done. They're um, they're not overt in most scenes, um, but it has like its moments, and I think those moments really shine through in Videodrome. Um, so I think I, I, it's it's a really great um, body horror element that kind of shows up here that wasn't really a part of a lot of Cronenberg's previous output. Um, what else did we touch on that you want to talk about? That might be about that. Yeah, I think we covered pretty much everything. We kind of went into a really deep discussion of the philosophy of Videodrome. And what did like, you think of the end? Um, I like the end. I think that it has a really, first of all, it has a really interesting element to it that you know he sees reality through the tv screen he sees his own reality of committing suicide through the tv screen and it occurs and then he we see it again through his own reality and i think that's a really cool idea um however like you said what was it all a hallucination did he just really just lose his mind um towards the end of the movie uh it's certainly up for interpretation and i think i i like that cronenberg leaves it up to interpretation i I appreciate you that. Never, let's say you never described. Sorry to interrupt again, but you never described like like. So where where do you think the line for you is on that? I definitely think that um, Cronenberg is coming to the conclusion that people do are interested in curiosity, and television is a means of portraying that, and. When because James Woods' character does come to the conclusion that it says long live the new flesh, um, and he is working for Brian Oblivion and Bianca Oblivion to a certain extent, and their philosophy that TV can cure, I do think that Cronenberg is coming to the point that um, there's a there's a line between curiosity and then crossing over that to actually doing these things. And I think that, in the in the sense of Videodrome, that it, that line has been crossed. Like Videodrome, to a certain extent, is real. Whether they're actually committing snuff or not is, uh, you know, left open. But they are obviously their intention is to um, show that it could happen, and then they're trying to basically kill off an entire population of people. Who might be drawn to that or might be drawn to pornography to some extent or uh, violence whether it be sexual or not but they're the draw for those people is that they don't do that stuff and barry convex is very much in the business of doing that stuff um while he thinks he's like taking out like you know people with perverted minds he's really truly doing that stuff at the same time and so i think that Cronenberg is coming to the conclusion at the, at the end of Videodrome that it, it is okay to be curious and to um, be fascinated by violence and sexuality because it means that you are not actually partaking in that. You know? And, and, and to, to be honest with you, I think the end of the movie with Max 
you know, killing himself, committing suicide with his own gun that he's pulled out of his vagina cavity. Um, I do think that that is sort of unclear as to what the ultimate point of of him doing that is. Um, Is it perhaps that he's too corrupted at this point? Maybe. I don't know. Um, I think overall, though, it is just a really interesting movie. And it just leaves a lot of avenues open for interpretation. And I think that's why it's so interesting to watch. Why... Even like at an hour and 27 minutes, it's very brisk and uh, never really lets up. So you don't really have that issue of feeling like, oh, there's a lot of like dead air here. You it's it's quick to the point and you kind of move through things really fast. And it has a few different um, points of where it branches off from like its immediate uh, storyline. And I think that works really well for the movie. And that's why. It is more enjoyable than some of Cronenberg's uh, other output. All right, so uh, what would you give Videodrome uh, on a scale of zero to ten? Um, uh, hmm, what do I want for my scale? I'm trying to think here. Zero to ten. Um, uh, Tetsuo arm guns. <laughs> You're forgetting the Tetsuo yeah. from Robot Chicken. I'll give it a 8 and I'm going to break a rule because we always go in halves. 8 and a quarter mm. out of 10. Uh, I like this film quite a bit. Uh, the more I kind of think about it, the more it's kind of resonating with me. This is easily out of outside of the fly. Cronenberg's best directed, best thought out, best written film. Uh, it's very good, very very good. I like the idea is in this film. Makes you think a lot. Like again, when we were discussing like the whole book aspect and like it was more me kind of spitballing like media in general because it kind of made me kind of think about it like you know holistically today today's world because again tv of the 80s compared to tv of today is two totally different beasts especially seeing as how radio music the internet since you know 1983 have greatly evolved since then uh it's giving me a lot of you know it does have a lot of interesting ideas in here i think Unlike scanners, they're well thought out, nuanced, give you a lot of you know room to think. Um, it's what well acted. Debbie Harry's greatness, very seduct- seductive, very charming. James Woods is great too. He's very charismatic. It, effects are great in this film. Um, I will say the one kind of really down thing about this film and the body horror is great uh the one down thing about this film is i think kind of the whole uh exposition dumps at times are very kind of like because the whole like what's video drone video drone video drone video drone video you know it's like fucking marsha 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 <laughs> you know um which can be annoying because it makes it kind of hard to follow at times just because they're like 
the video drum is this and video drum does that and like well the video drum is doing this what's doing that and it's just kind of like if you're not paying attention like then it kind of falls apart at points I think it would be kind of better if they kind of just ref you know let it be mm -hmm. like you know let like what's going on kind of be instead of constantly referring to Videodrome uh, but I, I I do think it's this is a very good film. It's a, it's very enjoyable. The, it's only 89 minutes long. Doesn't feel like it. It's you know well unlike one of the one of the criticisms that I had you know with Rabbit and Scanners that is they were not well paced. This is very well paced. It's a nice watch. Um, yeah, I like it. I like this movie a lot. I'd say eight and a quarter because I. I like it as much as I like it. I don't think I could earnestly give it an eight and a half. Um, but I do think this is a very worthwhile film with very worthwhile ideas, great acting, a decent score, very good uh, uh, body horror aspects and effects that are, you know, you know, understated but very well done. So I'd say eight and a quarter. I would give this uh, an eight and a half. I really like Videodrome. I have always liked it uh, since I first saw it. And I think it really, you know, seeing it again, definitely still cements that I really like this movie. Uh, I think it does a really good job of um, capturing the taboo-ness of the snuff elements to it. It uh, has a great sexiness to it that I think, again, adds to the taboo element of it. Because Debbie Harry really shouldn't be sexy in this movie, but she is. And Why not? Because she should seem to the viewer like a weirdo, right? Like, like, a like cut, cut my shoulder blade, <laughs> you know? It should seem like a weirdo, but to hold me, on, no on. way. I, I do I, that I, in an instant. You want you your shoulder cut? No problem, no problem. No problem. I was going to say, wait, I forgot, we forgot about the whole mid-thrust and spooning. Like, by the way, pierce my ear yeah. with this needle. It's great. <laughs> there goes my boner. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, but I like it. I like. I, I think like again, like it's that tabooness that that really comes out in video drum that you don't get a lot in movies, and I think I think it does. It works really well. Um, I I like the fact that the film kind of goes off the rails a little bit, and by going off the rails, I mean that you as the viewer and Max as a character really have no bearing on what's going on, and that's intentional. And I think that like if you go with that, if you're if you're open to that, and you're open to at times not knowing what's happening um videodrome can be a really satisfying experience especially if you are okay with the fact that at the end of the movie you may not really totally understand what cronenberg was going for that's fine um the it's left up to interpretation and i think that's uh, a really good point in videodrome that you don't have to like if you're watching it for the first time you don't have to completely understand what is meant by this movie just go with it just just you know let it play out and then at the end of the movie, you can kind of reassess, figure out how you feel about it, and then watch it again and see if, you know, see if the, the context clues that you just took in um, make a difference in how you interpret the movie. Um, and with that said, too, I think James Woods does a really good job. He's an asshole, but he's really good in this movie. <laughs> um, I think he does a really good job playing a sort of an asshole in this movie, which probably makes sense considering the fact that he's an asshole in real life. So works out pretty well 
Um, there's a great, there's that great scene we didn't talk about where he um, hallucinates that he slaps Bridie, which is great. Like he just, he just like hauls off and smacks her, thinking that it might be Nikki. Then, then it's Bridie. Then he thinks he slapped him. Oh, that's really great didn't. too, because she's like you. You didn't smack me. It's like that's right. It's the 1980s. The women apologize. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I like I like all of those elements to this movie, and I think it does a really good job. And the gore effects and the body horror are really on point here too. So I think um, all of that really sums up a very satisfying experience to watch with Videodrome. It's a very uh, brisk movie. You really, you know, it's it's less than 90 minutes. You don't need any more than that. You kind of get in and get out and. Um, it's definitely, definitely worth a watch. That's our best reviewed Cronenberg yet. Besides the fly, which we didn't do in Craven some Cronenberg. So, so next up we have another Craven movie and our last one. It's our last one. And we we say, we save the, we save what I would, I would call the worst, (laughs) the worst for last. Um, we're doing. And, and that that could be misinterpreted too because some people might think the worst is cursed but in this case we're doing my soul to take I don't um, know a lot of people still hate scream four because they're fucking idiots yeah yeah no we're doing my soul to take and uh, it's been a while since I've seen this movie I don't remember much about it at all because I I think that says a lot about the movie itself that I don't remember, I, don't remember anything so about it it's also during college when you're drinking vodka handles. True, true. Yeah. Traipsing. And if it, you know, like I said, I don't remember anything about it, but I did just rewatch Cursed not too long ago, and that movie is pretty bad, so I don't think we're in for a treat here, but um, it should be fun to talk about at least. So, My Soul to Take will be next, and then I've, we're going to. I, I, I have heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember it coming out i don't remember i didn't see it so yeah well we're gonna check it out and we're gonna see what we think and uh then we're gonna finish it out with a cronenberg movie so got a couple episodes left and we're gonna we're gonna sneak in halloween ends there at some point too because of course we'll need to evil dies tonight that's right we'll see evil die for the last time supposedly isn't it like three years after yeah, I guess. I actually have not been following any details about the movie because I don't want to know. I would rather I not be significantly <laughs> disappointed. You know what I mean? Who do you think's at fault for the if this movie falls? If it's, do you think it's Danny McBride? Do you I think, think it's, it's having too many writers in the in the kitchen. Yeah, you don't think it's the production? Like maybe it's the fucking. Mehmet, uh Malika Khan and his family. <laughs> no, I, I definitely. I think it's. I think it's just having too many people. Uh, too many people working on it at the same time and just getting all muddled. That would be my. That would be my take. But so we'll do Halloween ends at some point, definitely. Well, we have to. We promised it. We promised. All right, so but. But thanks for listening to our Craven Some Cronenberg uh, series. We're going to be doing uh, My Soul to Take next time. You want to tune in for that? So subscribe. What's our, la- what's our last Cronenberg episode? Um, I I don't know. We didn't decide. So <laughs> I think we did. You just you forgot as you like. 
Dead Ringers you want to do? Well, he does have a new movie out this year. Crimes so. of the, yeah, Crimes of the Future. Um, we could do that, or we could do The Brood, which I, I would be interested in doing as well. Uh, but that's the same vein as the other shit. Well, I don't know. I guess we'll have to talk about it and see what we want to do. Maybe we'll have to do The Dead Zone. That has Christopher Walken. I love it. Uh, yeah, The Dead Zone's a good movie, for sure. Christopher Walken. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to talk about it and see. But you'll want to tune in for all that stuff. So subscribe to us on pretty much any podcasting app that you can think of. Uh, we're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, our home base of Anchor.fm, Good Pods, pretty much anything. So subscribe, leave us a nice review on there. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for us on there, Blood and Black Rum Podcast. Uh, we are on um, Patreon, where you can uh, give us money. We certainly appreciate that. That's patreon.com slash blood and bike rum podcast. Thanks for donating in advance. And then we have a, a email address at blood and bike rum podcast at gmail.com where you can write to us. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, what movies you want us to cover. And we'll certainly take that into consideration. So we hope you uh, enjoyed this episode and uh, we hope you tune in for the next one on my soul to take where we shit on that movie. So until, until then, I love it. I'm going to love it. <laughs> yeah. Take care. Uh,